Well, good morning. I am uh, going to pull this back because there's a squeaky floor. Try to avoid the squeak. We're going to jump in right away into our series on anxiety. You may recall that the last couple of weeks we've been focusing on being anxious for nothing. The sermon series, this is, part, this is like installment three of that sermon series. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at chapter, uh, Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Now you may recall that Philippians chapter four, verse six is our memory verse. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up and we will read it together, then we'll pray, and then I'll begin the message. So we're going to look at uh, God's Word this morning in four parts. First, we're going to look at two commandments. Then we're going to look at three means by which we honor those commandments, the way we, the way we do those commandments. We're going to look at one promise, and then we're going to look at some application points. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to pray and read the Scripture together. If you have memorized this, I encourage you actually to close your eyes and just as you say it to allow the Word of God to, to seep over you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Say it with me, please. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And this morning we are going to look at prayer. So why don't we begin by praying? Would you pray with me, please? Father God, you are awesome. Lord, we bask in the warmth of your glow and of your goodness. Lord, I am reminded of your word in Proverbs that Anxiousness weighs a man's heart down, but a good word makes him glad. And I pray, Father God, that you would open up our ears, open up our hearts, open up our minds, that a good word might be proclaimed, that you might be received and honored, and that your kingdom might grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I mentioned two commands. Uh, Three means by which we obey those commands, one promise, and then some applications. We're going to jump right in to the two commands. The first one is easy. I'll pause. I think uh, it's a number alert. All right, then we're going to do what we're about to pray we're going to do because there's somebody in trouble. Stuart Jackson, would you please stand and cry out to God for mercy in this situation? Amen. What a horrible way to have a sermon illustration, but thank you, Stuart. 
or praying. The very first command that we see in these verses is the name of this sermon series, Be Anxious for Nothing. Gosh, in light of the thing that we just prayed about, and, in, and just in what we look at in the news, remember in particular Ross's first sermon in this sermon series, I don't think we need to be persuaded. I don't think I need to stand up here and recite a list of bad things that would cause us to be anxious. If you disagree with that, I'm happy to launch, right? But if you don't, if you do, we should probably talk after the service, but I'm gonna just, I'm gonna assume, take as a given that you experience anxiety. We all do, and that's why God commands us not to be anxious, because he knows how prevalent it is. So instead of focusing too much on what causes us anxiety, I want to focus on the second command. And if you hold the, if you put the scriptures back up, please, you'll see you look closely to see where the second command is. Grammatically, it's a little bit difficult to follow, but it's really quite straightforward. Let your requests be made known to God. Do you see that? Let your requests be made known to God. Now, why? would God have to command us to let our requests be made known to him? Because we don't let our requests be made known to him. What do we do? We complain, we stew, we stress, we get angry, we have outbursts, we get frustrated, but frankly, rare is the time that we actually let our requests be made known to God. We get so busy. If, if, you, if you disagree with me on that, I wonder if you're, uh, especially for those of you who are married, if, if your marriage looks a little bit like my marriage, and, and I'll, it starts like this. I complain to my wife. My wife says, have you prayed about that? And I say, what do I say? No. No, I haven't. We do this all the time. It is part of our existence. And that's why God has to command us to let, let our requests be made known to him. But because we don't, is it any wonder we're so anxious that the one person, person who can do something about our anxiety is our last stop? Some of you may have heard this. Some of you may have said this. We've done everything we could. The only thing left to do is what? Pray. No, 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 no. The order is backwards. Amen. Right? The order is backwards. And as a result, we're anxious. Well, that's it. Two commands. I suspect if you're like me, you're also 0 for 2 right now. But what I want to do for the majority of the time that we're here together is to look at the three means by which God, God calls us to obey these command commands, all right? The means by which he does it, and there are three of them. By the way, I realize we don't do it all the time, but when we let our requests be made known to God, this is what our requests being made known to God ought to look like. First, there are three things. You can see them in the scriptures. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. I wonder, does anybody have any idea, or before you became a church person, did you have any idea what the word supplication meant? 
I got saved when I was 30 or 31 years old. Supplication, I'm like, what the heck is that? I mean, like supplies, I go to Office Depot, I need pens. Like, what does supplication mean? I have no idea. Well, it's really simple. It's a specific request. A supplication is a specific request. And so now look at that list again. Pray, it's prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. And some of you are probably asking yourselves right now, what's the difference between prayer and supplication? Because I'm making specific requests. What's the difference between the two? And that is where I want to spend the majority of our time this morning, is that the difference, the gap, is immense. A supplication is a specific request. But prayer is communion with God. All right, communion with God. Now I'm talking churchy talk again. I said supplication, and now I'm, now I'm saying communion with God. What does communion with God actually mean? What does communion mean? Well, I, I, I Googled this, uh, the definition of communion, and I found this. Sharing or exchanging intimate thoughts and feelings. That's pretty good. Sharing or exchanging intimate thoughts and feelings. But I want to add to it in this way. When you think about prayer, when you think about communion with God, I want you to think of it this way, being in and enjoying the presence of God. Being in and enjoying the presence of God. And why do I say that? Because prayer begins with a relationship rather than a request. Okay? Prayer begins with a relationship rather than a request. Why do I say that? Well, there are two very important ways God describes himself in his relationship to us. God, our Father. God, our Father. The relationship that God wants with us, the interaction, the nature of the engagement that he wants with us is the same as between a, a father, a loving, loving, kind father and the child. And, and I, I admit that when that child is really small, the nature of that relationship is often going to be request, right? Because the child is absolutely helpless. But over time, the child will grow and the child will mature. But as we mature, if all we ever do is submit requests, God wouldn't be our father. He would be our slave or our Santa Claus or maybe our employee, who we're a little bit dissatisfied with. The relational picture that God paints is not only one, though, of father and child, but it's also husband and wife. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, come on, give me some church talk. What are you called? What are you known as? The bride of Christ. People who are outside the church don't have any idea what that means. Well, let's talk a little bit about what it means. It means that the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to show us the most intimate, the most personal, the most private interaction that this world should know and say, that's the relationship that I want to have with you. But if all we ever did in our marital relationships was submit requests, I apologize for the stereotype. We would be a nagging, nagging bride. 
That's not the kind of relationship that God is calling us into. He is trying to get us to put our heads around that our relationship with him, our communion with him, should be the most intimate relationship we have. So you might ask, what does that look like? Like, Dan, help me out here. I don't have any clue what that looks like. And by the way, it seems more and more there are fewer and fewer marriages that actually manifest this, that demonstrate it. But a loving marital relationship, a loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I think would at least look like these things. Spending time together in actually enjoying being in one another's company. Talking, get ready, listening. Doing things together, doing things for one another, making the other person a priority regardless, regardless of the fact that we want or need something. And it's putting the other person's interests above our own. Does your relationship with the Lord Jesus look like that? Forget your, does your relationship with your spouse look like that? Does your relationship with the Lord Jesus look like that? Is it marked by intimacy? Is it marked by honesty and candor? Is it marked by a depth of openness that you would be horrified if anybody else heard the way the two of you engage? By the way, is anybody feeling uncomfortable with this? Is anybody feeling uncomfortable with this? Good. Because the call is to see the Lord Jesus for who he is and to see who we are in his eyes, that we can take hold of him. This anxiety problem that is strangling us, we have a solution. He is right there in front of us. And he is inviting us into this relationship of gratitude, of openness, of intimacy that releases us, that frees us. But if your relationship with Jesus does not look like that, each of us has to ask the question, why not? Why not? And have you considered that maybe it's because we don't have that kind of relationship that we're so anxious. You know, I will be the first to launch what I call an arrow prayer. Like, I am in trouble. I have lots of stories of being in trouble. And, Lord, help me now. Boom, you know, and shooting it up there. And God actually coming down and delivering. And those are necessary, but they aren't a substitute for actually working to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Because without the relationship, we really don't know God. And if we don't know God, we don't really trust him. I mean, we might say, I trust him for eternal life, but do we trust him for this child who's the subject of the Amber Alert we just heard? Do we trust him for the meeting I'm going to have with my boss tomorrow? Do we trust him when that marriage I was talking about does not look so loving and it's crumbling? We don't. And if we don't trust him, we don't go to him. And there we are back at command number two, failing 
but we're not letting our request be made known to God because we really don't think he'll do anything about it. And there we are back in violating command number one, anxious. Are you tracking with me? Nancy said it this way, it was so, so profound. She said, uh, we have God as our father, but we live like orphans. Isn't it true? I would add to that by saying it this way. We are the bride of Christ, but we act more like acquaintances. We bump into one another every now and again, sometimes in times of real difficulty, but it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference. Wow, heavy, isn't it? Is this you? Is this the kind of relationship you have with the Lord Jesus? If it is, I know of only one solution, one. We gotta start taking our eyes off ourselves, taking our eyes off our problems, taking our eyes off our anxieties, taking our eyes off our own desires, and looking at the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus, actually looking at the cross, actually seeing that in the cross, when Jesus goes to the cross, he is screaming, his father is screaming, I love you, I want you. I don't want you to be strangled by that anxiety. I want you to know the peace of my presence. I want you to know that abiding presence with me. Jesus is saying, I want you to be the happiest bride there is. God the Father says, I send my son to the cross that I may make you my beloved child. The cross, Romans 5, 8, right? God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But here is the key point, and sometimes in churchy stuff, we end at this point, we say, go to the cross, go to the cross, go to the cross. And I have been in this church or others going, I'm not sure what that looks like. We've got now a visible cross back there, which I think is awesome, but I'm not sure what that looks like. I go to it, do I just stand there? Does like a lightning bolt hit me or something? Like, what do I do now? And we go to the cross and we look at the cross and we confess all over again our need for Jesus. We turn back to him, but then we take a step. And that step is actually toward Jesus. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, let me just pull that up. This passage is so beautiful. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I mean, listen, this is Jesus. This is his call to each of us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Elsewhere in John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says, if you abide in me, we're going to hit that churchy word in just a second. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask anything you wish, and it shall be done. Abide. What does abide mean? It sounds like abode, right? Live? It's a place to live? Well, that's it. It's abide. It's the place to live. It is, it is making a living. It is making a dwelling and staying there, remaining, persevering, continuing. And Jesus is, is saying, 
We are to abide in him. Well, what does that look like? Also in John chapter 15, some of you will remember this. Do you remember Jesus says, I am the, the vine and you are the branches? And the vine is down in the root. It's getting nourished and everything. And the vine comes out and branches grow off it. And Jesus is saying that he is the vine and we're the branch. And let that just sink into your head for just a second. That's pretty doggone close. Excuse me, isn't it? That's pretty doggone close. It's physical attachment. That means as Jesus goes this way, guess where we're going? This way. As Jesus goes this way, guess where we're going? This way. As Jesus stands up, we stand up. As Jesus sits down, we sit, we sit down. And as Jesus takes up his cross, he's calling us to take up his Take up ours, excuse me. That we are to abide in him. That still sounds a little bit mysterious, I know, but then he goes on and he explains it a little bit better. He says, and if, you, if my word abides in you, if the words of Jesus take up a dwelling place in you, if they reside in you, if they remain in you, if they live in you and things that live grow, so if, it, if my word grows in you, Jesus is saying, well, let me ask you, do you know what his words are? Are we spending time abiding with him by abiding in his word, taking his word in, allowing it to challenge us? I, I will tell you, like, I remember a few years back now where I'm reading the, the gospel according to Luke, and I'd read this many times, and all of a sudden, that one day, it just hit me. It said, love your enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. How are we doing? How are, I'm not a strong point for me, or as we would like to say, I'm not gifted in that, right? But allowing God's word to challenge us and allowing it to change us, to grow in us so that we know him better, so that we start to grow and begin to look like him, that's abiding. It is staying with him all of the time. And it's like any marriage. This will take time. It will take energy. It will take commitment. And it will take sacrifice. But it will produce an abundant life. And I, some of you might be saying, and even in my own mind, I'm like, okay, yeah, what was the connection to anxiety again? Do you get it? That the prayer does not start with, God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this one fast. That's not the way it starts. It starts with a relationship that develops over time where I begin to know him better, that I begin to reveal myself to him more. By the way, not that he needs it. He knows it. He looks right into our hearts. But it is so cathartic when we open up to him and reveal ourselves to him, that we surrender, in a sense, to him and allow him to know us begin to abide in him, to live in him, and have his word abide in us. And the next thing you know, anxiety starts to dissipate. Jesus' promise was that he came to give life and that we might have it more abundantly. Anxiety, which weighs us down, is defeating that. And he's telling us how it is that we can defeat the anxiety. It's by being in him, abiding in him. 
Okay, I spent a long time on that one, sorry. I'm going to move a little bit more quickly through the other two. The next one is supplication. Remember we said we've got the two commands, we've got these means by which we obey the commands. The first one, prayer, is the relationship, right? The next one is supplication. And remember I said it's a specific request? Okay, we need to start making specific requests. That's the command. Let our, let our request be made known to God. So do it. We all have to do this, and it's about everything. There is nothing too small to bring before God. Maybe this is, maybe this is a generational thing from, from my parents' generation, but, um, and, and I hope, it, I hope it's, it, it, it doesn't persist. But have you ever talked to somebody, and you're like, oh, can, can I pray for you about something? And like, oh, you don't have to pray for me. No, it's, no, it's, not, it's not that important. It's not, you don't have to pray for me. Or, oh, God doesn't want to hear that from me. God doesn't want to hear about my little things. <laughs> Hello! Let your request be made known to God in everything. He is inviting us to take everything to him, and it doesn't matter how small it is. He wants it. He wants that relationship with us. He wants to hear what our requests are. And when you do it, when you start to make, let your request be made known to God, can I encourage you to be specific? How many times have you been in a prayer group like, oh, Lord, bless Susie, Johnny, Jimmy, and Sally. Just bless them, Lord. And then you go on. Did God bless them? You have no idea, right? And there's nothing really for us to, for us to go, look at what God did. Look at what God did. No, God is calling us with supplication to make a specific request, to be very specific about what it is that we want God to do. God, my friend Carl needs a better job because he can't afford his car payment and a place to live and food. Would you please get him a better job? And guess what my Lord did? Carl got more hours at work. Better job. Boom. What am I going to do? Lord, bless Carl. No. Wow, thank you, Lord. Look at the awesome thing that you did. Like, that's the call that God has given to us. He wants us to join into the praise. He wants us to know that he is here, he is with us, he is at hand, as the scriptures say, and that he is answering our prayers so that we can praise him. And when that happens, guess what our trust does? Remember that thing I said in a relationship? When there's no trust, we start to drift. Oh, all of a sudden, we start to see God moving. God is moving, and our trust goes up, and boom, the next thing you know, we are in the next, the next part of, the, of Paul's uh, injunction to us, Thanksgiving. You tracking with me now? You tracking with me? God, look at, look at what you have done. In many respects, our requests are a look forward. Lord, would you take care of this thing in the future? In my view, Thanksgiving is a look back. At least it starts with a look back. What has God done for you? I can tell you in my own prayer life, more and more, thank the Lord, my prayers begin with thanksgiving. Lord, this, thank you. Because I needed this thing and you did that for me and I had this really tough meeting that was coming up and I asked you to give me favor in it and you did and Lord, I asked this. And the next thing you know, my thanksgiving starts to pick up steam. <laughs> By the way, this is not just some sort of psychological mumbo-jumbo. This is, look at what my God did for me. Thank you. And just like we would train our kids, we would teach our kids when we do something for them to say thanks, God loves it when we just acknowledge the good thing he's done for us.
And he says, say thanks. And it starts to pick up steam. And all of a sudden, my heart starts to be filled with joy. And my expectation of what he's going to do starts to change dramatically. Now, here's the, the difficult word. That we are to be thankful not only when things are good, but also when things are really tough. You know, Paul, when he writes this letter to the Philippians, he's in jail. You know how many times he uses the word joy or rejoice in this short letter? Something like 13. He is thankful for what God has done for him, for the many ways in which God has delivered him. And I just have a short personal testimony about this because, remember, allowing God's word to abide in us. I'm studying God's word. I'm studying, I'm studying it. And there is this passage. It's, it's very similar to, the, uh, to Philippians 4 that we're looking at. It's from 1 Thessalonians. And it says, give thanks in all circumstances. And I remember one of my daughters was going through something very difficult. Something super important to her was not going well. And I'm watching it. And there's nothing I can do to change it. There's no intervention that I can make. There's nothing I can do. Now, for those of you who are parents, you know that when your kid hurts, you're hurting. And so I start to pray, Lord, you're telling me I have to give thanks for everything. I have to give thanks in all circumstances. What am I going to be thankful about in this? She is hurting, Lord. This is eating her up inside. Lord, how in the world can I give thanks in this moment? And then, boom. I remember God's word. It's abiding in me. Romans 5. Suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And I love the way Paul says this. I'm going to see if I can find it quickly from Romans. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. She's going through this difficult thing. I don't know exactly why, but I know God's love is being poured out. So what's happening? And then it hits me. He's making her stronger. He's teaching her perseverance. He's teaching her how to trust him. And the next thing you know, my angst, my anxiety, and I move into thankfulness. And I say, Lord, I am so grateful to you. I am so grateful to you, Lord, because what you're doing now, the stakes really aren't all that high. She's going through something really tough. The consequences, frankly, aren't that huge. So you're training her in this. So when the stakes are high and the consequences are huge, she will be stronger and she will be ready and she will know how to trust you more. Do you see that? And all of a sudden, what had been my anxiety becomes my peace. My peace. We talked about two commands, three means, one promise. And what's the promise? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, it's a promise, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. All that thankfulness produces joy, praise, hope, and peace. Now, I don't want you to miss what's happening here. The peace is because our trust in God grows, because his bigness grows in us. We're no longer focused on that problem that's right in front of us. He lets us pull back, focus on him, and then see everything from a bigger picture, from a lens more like his, so we can see, that he, see how he works. And I love this language of guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because our circumstances might not change. My kids' circumstances didn't change. But my attitude in it my peace through it was radically different. I want to watch. I want to uh, just turn to Psalm 18 for just a moment because if you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with how to have a relationship with God, I know I mentioned a lot about abiding in Jesus, and that is critical. The Psalms are sometimes referred to as the prayer book of Jesus. You want to get to know Jesus, get to know the Psalms. Study the Psalms just a couple weeks ago. And, in, in Psalm 22, like God just broke my heart. I was building a whole little cement pond around my heart a little bit. God just sent a torpedo in there to blow that up a little bit to see Jesus and his goodness. And Psalm 18 is so awesome because it begins, listen to what, what, what uh, uh, King David says. This is how he begins Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Wow, that's somebody who has cultivated a relationship with God, right? And when the trouble comes, and trouble in, his, in this psalm is about to come, and he starts seeing it, and it's making him anxious, and things aren't looking so good, then he turns the corner, and this is what he says. This is Psalm 18, verse 27. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. Like you're the one who gives me the fire inside, Lord. You're the one who helps me to see. You're the one who guides my way. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. For by you, and get this, look at, listen to this. For by you, I can run against the troop. In other words, there's a whole... That army's not going to stop you, Lord. You, because it's your will, I will prevail. Because you're good, Lord. For by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. It's almost like Superman, right? I mean, but do you see, his circumstances haven't changed. But his understanding of God has come into much better focus. And therefore, the way he views his circumstances and the level of his anxiety changes drastically. And all of those things that we read about in, in uh, the first, first few verses of, of Psalm 18, that God is his stronghold, God is his refuge. Now back to the Philippians language. Our hearts and our minds will be guarded. Get it? Guarded in Christ Jesus. A stronghold around us. A refuge for us. And the peace that is God's promise, comes. All right. That's a lot to take in. I'm sorry, I got a little worked up there at the end. 
couple of things I want to share with you from just, just some simple application points for this because it is my deep desire that we as God's people walk, that he lightens our darkness and that we walk with him, that we abide in him and his word abides in us, that this anxiety that is crippling the world, that is making pharmaceutical companies buku bucks, and I'm not, this is not a comment about the need for medicine, but that we as God's people will walk in his extraordinary light, not weighed down by this darkness. And just a couple of things uh, that you can do, that you can start doing today. I mentioned it already. Read, meditate on, and pray the Psalms. Read, meditate on, and pray the Psalms. And when you're stuck and you don't understand what they mean, just imagine, are these Jesus' words? And by the way, then read Psalm 22. Read, meditate on, and pray the Gospels. And get to know this Jesus. Truly get to know him. Not just a Savior who died a long time ago in some faraway place on an old big cross, but a Savior, a God, who, wants, who has made us his bride, who is near, who is at hand with us. Another one, pray with people who do commune with him, who do have communion with him. Uh, that, I, I, uh, I used to pray with a guy from Nigeria when I lived back in Richmond. His name's Nelson. And I will tell you that when my prayer life got dry, I found myself imitating Nelson. Oh, but a God. I mean, like, it, it was so, it was so beautiful. And I found myself learning, having witnessed what it's like to, for someone to commune with God in prayer, having seen it with my own eyes and heard it with my own ears, I started to learn what that relationship looks like, and I wanted it. And so I started to open up. And all of a sudden, I'm using words like my friend Nelson, and the next thing you know, boom. It's my relationship with God. I'm not joyriding on somebody else, but I am learning from somebody else. One way to do that is we have Thursday night prayer that meets over in the building over here. And listen, I got to tell you, I almost didn't write this down because I didn't want to share it. It's so good. Because what's happening now, it's pretty much just me, Bob Cox, and Scott Holtz now. It's so intimate, and the power of God is moving in the three of us. And I'm not talking some mystical thing. I'm not going to run against a troop or jump over a wall, right, like David was just talking about. But God is changing us, and he's encouraging us. He's loving us. And I know it's just me, Bob, and Scott, so that means I know that every one of the rest of you is missing it. And that's why I said I wasn't going to share it, because I don't want to blow the intimacy. But I'm willing. Come. Thursday night, we pray at 7 o'clock over in that room over there. Another thing, step out of your comfort zone and begin to learn to pray out loud. By the way, you want to produce anxiety in somebody. Everybody hold hands. Doug, pray out loud now for us, would you? Like, right? We, we freak out when that happens. Start to learn how to pray out loud. If you don't want to do it with other people, first, that's fine. Do it alone. It will radically transform your prayer life. Be open and honest with God. And here's another thing. Learn how to call him what Jesus instructed us to call him because of who he is. Daddy. Daddy. And start to see him for the great 
and good, loving Father He is. If you are married, pray with your spouse. Pray with your spouse, even when you don't want to, even when you just got angry with one another. Pray with your spouse. I cannot, did I stress that enough? Pray with your spouse. Let me leave you with two other really practical things that are uh, going to happen right after this. First is, Ross mentioned the group connect that's going to meet out here. If you are isolated, if you are not walking this walk with somebody else, if you don't have somebody else who you can see pray, who knows how to commune with God, who has a beautiful relationship with God, go find it. Go find it. Go out here into the group connect and meet with people. And what do they do? And who are they? And, and, and how is their walk with Jesus? And how can they help me walk more closely with Jesus? Go out, please, and, and do that. And then lastly, right now, right after communion, there will be people back there. My wife and I will be among them who will be back there ready to pray for you, willing to pray for you. And when we do that, there should be some, some pads and some pens that are back there too. Even if you don't want someone to pray for you, there's this new cross that's been erected back there in the back, and there's a basket at the foot of it. If you have a prayer request, if you have a confession, whatever it is, put it in there. My commitment to you is like, what are we going to do with that? My commitment to you is we're not going to look at that. If you have a prayer request for now, please put it on the connection card. But this is between you and God. If there's something you want to get intimate with God and just take it to the cross, as I said earlier, go to the cross and get more intimate with Jesus, please do that. We will destroy those after this. No one's going to read them. In the future, we may change that up, but that's the way we're going to do it this morning. Okay? Okay. Pray with me, please, would you? Daddy, Thank you, Lord, because you have been so good to me. You have taken this wrecked, anxious jerk. You are so good, Lord. And I am so grateful for the way you have carried me through so much. I'm so grateful, Lord. your goodness. But I pray that you would work in the hearts of these people, that every one of them, everyone who can hear my voice, would know the intimacy and the beauty and the joy and the abundance of a beautiful relationship with you. Lord Jesus, we love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.